What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Josh Coker here, aka Josh Miss Prime. You know what it is. And in this episode, we're going to talk about self awareness and how important it is for aspiring writers, particularly, but also for anybody who aspires to do anything in a given field. In addition to that, we're going to talk about the changes in the publishing landscape over the last two decades. And why now is one of the most opportunistic time periods for someone who wants to write a book to write a book. And um, also we'll discuss a little bit as to how an aspiring writer can build their brand, so to speak, in order to get a traditional deal. All right. Stay tuned. It's coming right up. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is Josh Coker, a.k.a. Josh Miss Prime. And in this episode, we're going to talk a lot about self-awareness and intent as it relates to writing and business. Now, this transcends just writing, but because I am the co-founder of a small publishing press and because I write books and this is near and dear to my heart, this is the thing that I believe I can bring the most context and value to the discussion. So with that said, here we go. When you are an aspiring author or writer, And that could be at any point in your life. It could be when you're six years old all the way till when you're 90 years old. It really just depends on the stage of your life. Some people were born with the storytelling gene, I call it, and other other people weren't. This is very similar to people who were born, quote-unquote, introverts opposed to extroverts or, in a physical sense, someone who was born super tall, with the raw talents of, say, a basketball player or a football player versus someone who was born short and might be better at, say, gymnastics or something to that effect. Everybody has their strengths and weaknesses. And for writers, just as it is with athletes in any other field or profession, being self-aware of those strengths and weaknesses is tantamount to your success and to your ability to stay in this the long term. I only have 15 or 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes tops to talk about this subject. So I'm really going to try to cram in a lot. And I have a feeling that I'm going to go into multiple episodes about this. But for this episode, let me see how much I can cram in here. The reason why being self-aware is so important is because many of us, in this mindset where we're infatuated with the past, we're infatuated with, or, or we romanticize the past. Many uh, In the modern society, there's even a term for it when it comes to fashion, and that's basically called a hipster. And there's nothing wrong with hipsters. There's nothing wrong with nostalgia to a point. But when we in any profession or vocation, but particularly as writers, start to romanticize 
the the past, it can put us in danger of missing out on opportunities and ultimately being deluded into running a race that's already over. Now, let me give you some context of what I mean. Let me give you some solid details because you're probably wondering what I'm getting at. If you take a look at a very similar industry, when I, you know, if comparing the publishing industry or the writing industry, if we compared that to the music industry, or if we compare that to Hollywood and the film industry, we can see some deep correlations that are happening right now. The landscape is changing. The paradigm is shifting, just as it did in film and just as it did in music. But many people are lost and caught in the past when there are more opportunities now than there ever have been, I would say for writers and authors, this is a point, in time, and even entrepreneurs and small business owners who want to like write a book about their business or their process or their innovative idea, this is the time that has had the most opportunity since I would say way back when the Gutenberg Press was invented, because never since then, in, in our history, in this modern history, have we had a time where so much disruption and change has happened. So let's take a look at the film industry and music industry and see what disruption happened there. And now let's take a and then, then we'll kind of translate that and transition it into what's going on now in the publishing industry and what that means for people who are writers and authors or business owners. In the film industry and the music industry, there was huge disruption at the turn of the century. In the late 1990s, or maybe I should say between the late 1990s and the early 2000s, a dramatic shift happened, particularly when we look at how consumers view film and listen to music. Before, you had to go to a brick-and-mortar store, something like Blockbuster, something like Borders, where you would go there and you would buy or rent the media that you intended to listen to. This was common practice, and, and there were businesses that made multi-million dollars off of this, and they were thriving. However, at the turn of the century, technology changed, and this thing called the Internet started to enter into its adolescent phase, if you will, its teenage phase, if you will, and it began to majorly disrupt the traditional firms and businesses and corporations that were built around the old paradigm of brick-and-mortar and so what we saw were some great opportunities for artists, both in the film industry and in the music industry, to no longer rely on traditional sources such as big budget uh, movie studios or um, big budget labels. They could churn their stuff out quote-unquote, on the street, but what I really mean is the Internet, uh, at an alarming speed and get instant, immediate feedback from 
the end consumer. They, they were able to cut out the middleman. And because of this, this gave a, a lot of opportunity to those who worked hard at it and who honed their craft and who actually had some talent. And that's, that's a key thing here. Just because this happened doesn't mean that any Joe Schmo off the street was able to take advantage of this. It had to be someone who had a real passion and desire for what they were doing and was putting in the work, honing their skills, because nobody, no matter how much natural talent you're born with, you still have to hone your skills. I, if you look at, say, Michael Jordan, when he started basketball, he – he didn't know all the rules. Someone had to teach him. He had to play with other other teammates to see how he could interact with people like eventually Scottie Pippen and the rest of the Bulls. These, this translates to all different areas. No matter how great your storytelling skill is, your narrative skill, your writing abilities, you still have to hone your craft. And that's what these people in the film industry and the music industry did. So much so that there was a huge change and shift, and we're still seeing the effects of it now. We're actually seeing more of the, like, the, the fi- I don't want to say the final effects, but the mature effects of what was going on a decade ago. And let me give you an example. A decade ago, Netflix was just an idea. It wasn't even really a thing. And I would even say, well, I would say, A decade ago, Amazon was just becoming a thing that people were comfortable with. If any, I don't know those of you that are old enough to remember, back in the early 2000s, I remember uh, my uncle got me a gift card to this this place called Amazon, this, this online store. And I was actually intimidated and scared to use the gift card to buy anything because it was such an obtuse idea to buy something on the internet that I could go to the store and buy. It was scary. It literally was scary for me and I believe many people in that, in that time period. Now fast forward a decade and a half or two decades where we are now, and the majority of commerce is done on Amazon, particularly books, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. So same thing started happening in the music industry and the film industry much earlier on, okay? And like I said, the early 90s, or the mid to late 90s, turn of the century, this stuff started going on, and the film industry and the TV industry started taking huge hits in viewers and in sales. And this is why you saw increases in uh, Hollywood um, how can I put this? Like when people would go to the films, it caught, sorry, go to the, the theater to watch a movie or a film, it used to cost significantly less than what it does now. And the reason, and the same thing with like the food and everything there, and this is why theaters started to innovate because they were losing their audience. People said to themselves, why do I need to go to this theater that's down the road and spend 50 to to $100 for my family to go watch this movie when I could wait a few months and it will come out 
and I can watch it from the safety and ease of my own home and spend maybe 20 or $30 tops for that same kind of or at least similar experience. And same thing with music. People said, why do I need to go to the store when I can just buy it from my phone and listen to it immediately? And now they don't even buy it. Many, many times what they do, if it's like, say, Spotify or YouTube, they subscribe, oh, they subscribe to the platform and then they add the monthly membership and then what happens? They have a, they can pick any song they want and they have access to it for a small fee of saying, I don't know, I think it's about 15 bucks a month. 15 bucks a month gets them unlimited variety of songs, whatever they want to listen to and look at. And the benefit with the YouTube platform is that it's not just music, it's music videos, and it's it's now starting to incorporate movies and TV videos and YouTube original movies. And the same thing happened with Netflix and with other streaming mediums and, of course, Many people know Amazon jumped on this train as well and started both their own uh, movie and music service just like Netflix and just like Spotify so that if you were an Amazon Prime member, uh, you know, in, rather than going somewhere else in the market, they wanted to keep that market share or take more market share by, uh, by offering those services. So that's what we're starting to see, whether it's Apple, whether it's Google, whether it's Amazon, Netflix. Netflix is coming out with a ton of original movies. And I really think that when it comes to the film experience, that may be where, thing, where things ultimately go. Because um, home theater systems are getting more and more sophisticated. And technology is allowing people to set up like a really nice home theater system for a fairly reasonable price. And so the question is, why would you go to a theater filled with a bunch of strangers where you have to drive and, and buy expensive popcorn and all these other things when you can just have people over at your house or do it with your family? So I really think that the, the, film, the, the theater industry, maybe not the film industry, um, is either going to go the way of the dodo or it will transform and meld into something like we see traditional theater where it's, it's like a almost this it's like the horse and buggy like it's a it's a romanticized version and you go there to like watch Shakespeare or something like that um, and again we're talking about romanticizing the past and I, I really want to touch on that so hopefully these examples give you an idea of what I mean in both the film and the music industry the disruption has happened already and it's and it's taken the world by storm it's it's some businesses have completely gone out of business, like Blockbuster and like Borders, and other businesses uh, have taken the opportunity, like Netflix, like Amazon, and have become lead, new leaders in that market and in the industry. And while we're speaking of Amazon, um, Amazon is probably the biggest leader when it comes to all of this. You have Amazon, Apple, Google, they're all there um, competing, but Amazon is probably the best when it comes to books 
because what it does is it offers a platform for authors and aspiring writers to publish their books without, basically by cutting out the middleman. It, it allows you to go either by yourself or through a small publishing press like Story Ninjas, like what we do, and publish, I don't want to say immediately, but on your own terms and on your own time frame, rather than having to go through the traditional route. For those of you that aren't familiar, maybe you haven't done any research into this or, or you're, you know, you just need a refresher. Traditionally speaking, from about, I would say, the early 2000s and back, the way an author, you know, nine times out of, not even not one, 99 times out of 100, the way an author would become published in the traditional sense is that they would first write their manuscript and then second, have some people look at it, probably edit it a little bit. Then they would send this manuscript out via normally mail, like snail mail, and then eventually email once like the, the, the early 90s happened and email became a thing. The, the whole AOL craze and stuff like that. And even then, it didn't happen that much because traditional publishers, they're so stuck in this old school mindset that even in the early 90s and uh, to the late 90s and early 2000s, they were very hesitant about sending anything via email and accepting it. And so what would happen is all of these authors are sending their manuscripts to the top publishers around the world and yes are there are there quite a few sure and it depends on genre and and what kind of book you're writing but when you when you take a look at it from the amount of aspiring authors there are or even people who have written the book and are trying to publish um, that number is grossly like super super grossly outweighs the amount of traditional publisher publishers that are available to publish those books. And so what happens is these manuscripts just pile up on editors' desks and things like that. And so their philosophy is that, and, and you can ask any editor from any of these places, uh, and some of them have even written books about this or gone on camera you know, in an interview discussing this, that their job is to find reasons not to, to take the manuscript, okay? And so a lot of times you might have a good story that an audience would like, but the, because a particular editor read it on a bad day or had, didn't have enough time or they didn't like the writing style, even though it would fit fine with a customer, uh, they would just throw it in the trash stack. And nine times out of ten, those same publishers wouldn't even provide feedback to the writers. Occasionally, if, if say, your manuscript got through the first few rounds, but they decided against it, they might give you feedback in hopes that maybe you had something else that they could use later on. But the, the sad truth is, the majority of these authors were waiting months and years and sometimes never getting responses back and never getting published. 
And some of those books that they wrote were actually worth some value in the market. And we know this because eventually some of these authors did get published. People like Stephen King, people like J.K. Rowling, and actually J.K. Rowling, perfect example. Someone who pitched their idea to several places, didn't got a bunch of no's, finally someone said yes, and now she's one of the only billionaire authors in the world. Now, I'm not suggesting that every book series has a billion dollars in it, but the point is there, there were people that are probably shooting themselves in the foot right now. There were editors from other publishing companies that turned down J.K. Rowling that turned down Stephen King, that turned down George R.R. R. Martin. So the, the, the thing is that this information, so that, that, that was the traditional mindset, right? And then even if, I want to continue down this thread, even if someone was picked up by a publisher, if they were a first, if it was their first book, the publisher would not give them a large advance. You're, you're talking about a couple thousand dollars. If you had a name, like maybe you were a celebrity or something, and they had a pretty good idea that your name would sell or your story would sell, like they had, there was some pre-existing audience built up, they might at the most like give you 30000 maybe 50000 I mean, these are the top-notch first-time authors. But for the most part, you're talking about somebody getting on average three to five grand as an advance to their book after waiting months for a response from multiple publishing companies and then not even knowing if you were going to get any kind of royalties or anything from that and not even knowing if you would be able to, you had no control over who your audience was. And to make things even worse, if the publishing company uh, did decide to publish you but had a bigger name author that was releasing around the same time as you or that was, you know, that had a big project coming up or, or just finishing, many times these first-time authors, they would go by the wayside in terms of the, the publishing company would focus more on their, their quote-unquote sure bet of the established author. And so they would, not, they would not put as much effort and time into the marketing, the editing, the, the customer reach out as they would a full-fledged, like, fully developed author. And this is the problem that perpetuated for decades before the Internet and particularly before Amazon. And the reason why I say Amazon is because before that, there were self-publishing platforms available to authors, but it was a very taboo subject, and not many people had success because it wasn't very mainstream. But then when Amazon came around, they built a brand that was well-trusted throughout the world, and eventually they created a section of their platform that allowed it, allowed it to be very easy for authors to publish their own work. And they got rid of a lot of the taboo stuff that revolved around authors. Moreover, several independent authors made their first uh, big hits on Amazon, which also kind of created this new buzz about independent uh, authorship. 
And so that kind of brings us to where we are now. Not many people realize that the paradigm has shifted. I looked at some recent statistics. I don't recall who they're from, honestly. I mean, it's important in the sense like, don't just take my word for it, but you can look, you can look it up. The statistics are out there everywhere. Um, but it was from a very reputable, reputable source that does statistics on book sales. And they broke it down by like digital book sales, published book sales, books that were written by um, small publishing presses, including academic books versus like just, you know, small time publishing presses and one time authors and things like that. And essentially what they found was, I think it was some crazy number, like 40 or 45 percent of all book sales worldwide. Now, this is the key here. Worldwide were being conducted on Amazon. So that means that all the rest, say uh, 55 to 60% of worldwide sales are then divvied up between all the other traditional publishers and, and small-time publishers that exist in the world. Amazon pretty much holds half of the market, and that number continues to rise year after year, and the numbers continue to grow year after year, meaning that, I mean, it's a billion-dollar business. That doesn't mean that, that the authors are making billions of dollars, but Amazon is for sure. And that also means that customers are buying. So that's how the paradigm has shifted. What that means is, for those of you who, like, are still stuck in the Stone Ages, no offense, or you're not familiar, or you weren't aware of this paradigm shift, you know, going the traditional route while still viable may not be the best way to get your your story out into the world. Um, I'm running really short on time, so I'll have to do a continuation of this. But essentially, what I'm trying to get at is, for, for aspiring authors, first-time authors, especially if you don't have some pre-built-in uh, audience, it's much more fitting for you to, to start on Amazon. I'll continue this in a second. All right, let's continue where we left off here. Basically, what I was trying to say is for a author who's just starting out, who isn't a celebrity, you don't have a large following already in whatever industry that you're in, <clears throat> especially if we're talking about fiction, it's going to be a much better bet for that kind of individual to build their quote-unquote brand and their following through the Amazon self-publishing platform rather than trying to go the traditional route. And there's a couple reasons for this. One, now that Amazon has mastered this process, the tools are very simple for computer literate people to use. And even if you don't have the time to figure out how to self-publish, 
As I've mentioned once or twice already in this podcast, there are small publishing presses like myself, like Story Ninjas, that can help facilitate that need for a very inexpensive price. And it will allow you to, in most cases, keep your royalties and so it's like a one-time fee and then you're set up and you're running for your your book. Um, the second piece of that is Amazon already has a huge customer base of voracious readers. And it depends on what you write, but there are certain genres where people are reading more than one book per day in that genre. And the problem is they can't find enough books to read. And you might be asking yourself, who are these people? Because you don't read books that much. And to be honest, I don't even read books that much and I write them. (laughs) But there are some people out there, and in my mind it's like, you know, elderly senior people who don't have a lot of time, don't have a lot of stuff to do, and they have a lot of time on their hands, and I could be totally wrong, it's a stereotype that I have in my mind, but there are people out there that are reading in fiction a book a day, and let me pause here for a second, the reason why I keep focusing on fiction is because there is a little bit of a caveat, so far I've been saying unless you, unless someone has a large following or unless someone has uh, like celebrity status, one other one other type of uh, unique qualifier that an individual might have that could get them on the radar of a traditional publisher a little bit earlier than than all of these other aspiring authors would be if you had some major credentials, like you were, you, you're, you're a PhD, you're a lawyer, you're a doctor, like a medical doctor, those kinds of credentials can get, bump you up a little further. If you're writing a book about uh, military operations or so, like a specific battle that happened in real life and you're a military veteran or some sort of special unique credential, sometimes that might bump you up. And then the the one other thing I failed to mention too, going back to the traditional route, is if someone, if you know, if you know someone who is a publisher or an editor for a large publishing firm, then you may have more of a shot to get a traditionally published book than most people. There are very few people out there who have connections like that. But if you do know somebody and you're a half-decent writer with half-decent credentials, you are more likely to get a deal just because you know the person in real life so they can't avoid you. And if you're, like I said, if, if you have any, any actual good writing in you, talent in you, then there's a, there's a pretty good chance. But again, if I can just restate, those are all outliers. So if we go now, if we kind of come back and, we, and we're going over like, all right, Amazon has a huge customer base. 
They have very user-friendly tools that are that are super easy for a modern audience, author, whatever, a modern uh, publisher. Um, the other the other thing is that you're going to get immediate feedback on your writing. And this is something that if you try to go the traditional publishing route, it is, you you may never get that feedback. You may never get feedback from the publishers. And like I said, like some people who are probably really good writers have given up on their hopes and dreams of becoming a writer simply because they only submitted to two or three traditional publishers and none of them responded back. And so here you have uh, someone, a prospective writer that could by, you know, who knows, maybe they were, uh, have great stories. And actually, um, I, there are, I can't think of any people off the top of my head, but there are actually real life stories and scenarios where this has happened, where like later on the kids or the grandkids submitted the work to another publisher and it was accepted and it was, and it did very well for the writer and their family posthumously after their death. Um, a, a similar story that is like this is of the writer, the writer who wrote Moby Dick, uh, Herman Melville. There we go. Herman Melville wrote Moby Dick and several other books. He was published, but they actually weren't received that well for the time. However, um, after the turn of the century, academics and scholars went back and reviewed the works of several people uh, that were his contemporaries, including Melville himself, and they found his writing to be uh, masterful, which I don't think anybody can doubt if you've read it. Like, it's a very, very well-narrated story. It's kind of old school, and you have to get used to that writing, but the, the story itself, narratively speaking, the imagery, the symbolism is done masterfully. And so, again, he, the success of that story didn't actually come until after his death. So, being able to get feedback immediately in using this modern technology and a modern platform that Amazon is providing is super beneficial to any aspiring author because you can get feedback from prospective fans or at, well, I mean, not even, yeah, not even prospective fans, like readers, like legitimate readers and customers immediately. Your book is published, people start reading, you get feedback immediately. And if some of you might be saying, well, yeah, what happens if my book doesn't sell? Then nobody's reading it and it doesn't matter. Believe me, it, Amazon has options where you can do countdown deals or you can even have your book for free. That will, people will start to download those books and read those books. And just from that alone, you're going to get some feedback. Um, And sometimes maybe that is the feedback. If nobody's downloading your book for free and nobody's reading it at a cheap 
price point, you may need to ask yourself after you've done some marketing strategies and stuff, you, you might want to ask yourself, maybe I'm, maybe my writing isn't that good. You know, I'm not here suggesting that everybody who writes a book is going to sell wildly um, because not everybody's a good writer. Not everybody has put a lot into the process. But for those people who have, for those people who have a burning desire to tell stories and, and you're waiting on some traditional paradigm that may never happen for you, uh, that, those are the people I'm gearing this towards trying to get you to understand that you you may have better success and end up getting a traditional deal by going this route first. So let, let's just recap where we've been already. I know I keep repeating myself, but I, I want this to stick. First, Amazon has a large audience of voracious readers that are at your disposal. Second, the tools are really simple to use and if you can't figure them out, Someone like Story Ninjas or, you know, I got to put that plug in there. Someone can help you do that. Publish the book. And then third, you're going to get immediate feedback, which the traditional route very, very rarely ever gets you. So there, there, there's three big things already. The fourth is you're going to be able to start a customer base immediately. Now, this isn't what I would consider a primary customer base in the sense that these readers that you sell to there and, and they read your books on Amazon, you're at least at the point of this podcast, Amazon has not provided authors with access to, to that email list of people who have purchased your book, but... People who read your book can follow you on Amazon, and if you if you set up your book appropriately by leaving social media links and website links in your book in various places, then it gives the reader an opportunity to subscribe to your your books, basically. And when they do this, those those readers who do that, who read your book and then subscribe to your your mailing list. That those are some of the core readers that you want because they've they've raised their hands and said, "I want more of what I got." So that's that's great. And even the readers that you don't get to sign up, you still will have the opportunity, or I shouldn't say that you will have the opportunity, but what happens is anytime you do a release, then what the, what happens is Amazon will put that release out to people who have bought your book in their email newsletters. So if someone bought your first book and then you release the second book in the series, sometime within a month or two from there, there's, there's a high likelihood that Amazon is going to send in, an email to those people with a list of books, a list, a list of recommendations for them to buy. And it's highly likely that yours will be on that list. So that is yet another benefit of using Amazon. Now the third and the most important, and, and it or not the third, this is like the fourth or fifth benefit, but 
the, the, the last main benefit, there are far more, but the last main benefit that I'm going to talk about is that when all of this starts to compound, you've put out a few books, you've, you're, you're building a customer base, you're receiving royalties as, as you, people are reading your books, you're not waiting for the, the publishers to, you know, to send it to you. you. You will be in control of the advertising that you do, of the marketing, of, of the book sales in, in general. Then what happens is over time, you can go, you, you can build an audience. And again, this isn't the easiest thing to do, but it might even be more beneficial. And I need to back up to really let this hit home. Um, because you're in charge of all the marketing and promotion, it's a double-edged sword. One, it's all on you, so that kind of sucks. And yes, when I say it's all on you, that doesn't mean that you can't like hire people to help you make videos or to do advertisements. But my point is, you're not going to have a publishing company doing the work for you. Instead, you're the one that's going to have to go out. You're going to have to go to conventions bookstores, uh, do speeches and, and try to build an audience and build some buzz around your writing. But the benefit of doing that is that those people that you meet in that arena and and build another way you can build is like via social media. And, and that could be Instagram, it could be Facebook, it could be YouTube, whatever one fits you the best. It could be Tumblr, um, could be something that I don't even know, like maybe Pinterest or something, okay? Whatever Facebook, social media uh, platform works best for you, if you're promoting and you're building an audience over time, if you're good and you're, and you're getting people interested in your books and they wanna come back and they wanna read more, you're gonna build a mailing list. And then what you can do is if you're really interested in getting that traditional deal, well now you can go to a traditional publisher and you have much more ammunition. One, you can, you can point to your books and you can say, look, I've already published books. And, and two, you can, you can basically, one of the biggest roadblocks for an aspiring author is that traditional publishers are worried that you may not be able to write a full-length novel or you may not be able to write multiple series. So if you can point to books and say, look, I already have, that's going to give them a lot more confidence in your abilities to finish a project and 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 put it out on time and the bigger your social media presence is and the bigger your audience is, is going to prove to them that you're an author that will not just rely on them, but you're going to do your own promotion. And for, for a traditional publisher, that's a big deal because that means it saves them money, it saves them time, and there's just more of a likelihood that they'll get a return on their investment. And, um, and, you know, it also allows them, they can read your material so that they can see like what, what, 
what your writing style is like, and they can also read all the comments and reviews that your customers have, your readers have left. So if you've gotten nothing but good reviews and people loved it, whether they're, I mean, the more the better. Like if you have hundreds of comments on your books, then that's great because they can look through this and say, all right, the readers really enjoy the, the writing and they're digging it. And he's already, or she already has a large following. So we can continue and, and support this and kind of make it bigger. And what I mean by that is, uh, going the traditional route after self-publishing, you have a couple different options. It depends on the publisher and it depends on you, but you could do what's called a wide release where instead of just going on Amazon or, you know, some self-publishing platforms, the traditional publisher will take the book off the shelf You'll make some new additions, you know, maybe add a few chapters here. Uh, their editor might come and fix some things and tell you to change some things here and there. But then you can re-release your book as a new edition under the new publisher and they will broadcast it out to a wider audience. And to me, that is actually the biggest benefit of a of a traditional publishing over a non-traditional is that you get that opportunity to, to reach more people all at once. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, hopefully that had a ton of information that can help you along your journey to help you reach your fullest potential if you haven't already, go ahead and like it. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe so you can get more content like this. I'm gonna be pushing these out as much as I can. And if you have any questions, concerns, comments, maybe there's something I didn't touch on, maybe you want me to go in a little bit more detail, go ahead and send them in so that we can continue this conversation and keep it alive. If you know somebody that might be able to benefit from this and they're not following yet or they don't know about it, go ahead and share this with them. And um, for those of you, since the podcast is still new, if you're looking for more material, check me out on YouTube at Josh Coker and there's a ton of stuff on polymathics and all the things that I talk about at Josh Coker. I'm also on all the other social medias, usually either at Josh Coker or um, Josh Miss Prime, just like Optimus Prime, except Josh Miss. So J O S H U M U S P R I M E. And that's for like Snapchat and Instagram and things like that. If you want to write a book or you have a story to tell and share with the world and you would like our help in developing that story, Go ahead and check us out at Story Ninjas, www.story-ninjas.com. And we will help you turn your dream into a reality. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, until next time, this has been Josh Coker on behalf of Polymathics, the blog that helps you become a modern-day renaissance man and reach your fullest potential. I will catch you guys in the next episode.